We are looking at Acts chapter 2 this morning. We'll be looking just at two verses today, verses 42 and 43 of Acts chapter 2. You can turn there if you uh, don't have a Bible. Uh, you can turn there in the bulletin. It's there on page 6 with a place to take notes on page 7. Listen, this is God's word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. This is God's word. We're in this series called, What Does the Church Do? You know, we've seen that the church fills the world with God's presence. The church preaches the good news of Jesus. Today, in these verses, we're going to see that the church does life as a healing family community. That's what the church is. It's a healing family community. If you take a step back, when we think about church, we think about sometimes buildings, cathedrals, we think about music, we think about things you see on television, sometimes good, sometimes bad. The church began with these 120 people that we've seen in the book of Acts. It started out with 120 people who were committed to Jesus, and it grew to the point that it has changed everything. I mean, just think about that for a second. From 120 people in a small city to something that has now affected just about it's affected every continent and just about every country. And it's affected everything. And as I thought about that this week, I thought, how did that actually happen? Really, what was it that caused those 120 to touch 3,000 on that first day that we saw last week and then continue to grow and grow and grow to being what it is today? I thought, well, was it good preaching? Sure. I mean, we read Peter's sermon last week, and really, if we had preaching like that all the time, you could see how this really would change the world. But it's more than that, because this passage shows it's not just what the apostles did. This passage actually tells us what the people did. Okay, good preaching can draw folks, but it can't keep them. Okay, good preaching can draw people in, but it cannot keep them here. And so what made all the difference, what made most of the impact was what the people did. The real attraction of the church was its people who were experiencing and sharing God's work in their lives. These were people whose lives had literally been touched and transformed by God. And they began to share that. And they experienced God as father and each other as a family. And being this family is the biggest thing that we can offer to the city that we live in today. Okay, being this family is the best thing, it's the biggest gift that we can offer to our city. And this passage says that four things made up this family, and for these four things still need to make up our lives today. Okay, and so we got four points in our outline. There's only three printed there, so you'll have to add a fourth, maybe on that right column on page six. But uh, these four things are the Bible, fellowship, the Lord's Supper, 
and prayer. Okay, the Bible, fellowship, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. This is right out of the text in verse 42. This is what characterized and defined how when Luke was going to summarize what the early church was like, this is it. It's these four things. And a couple of thoughts as we, we're going to look at these things. When we start to list, and maybe some of you already feel it, uh-oh, here it comes, right? Bible, fellowship, Lord's Supper, and prayer. That sounds like one of those laundry lists that you can get in church, right? This list of things that if you don't do these things, then you're just an awful person. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I know I've felt that way. Some of it was because of the church I was going to. Some of it's because of what I did to myself. There are two approaches to looking at things like this, like what we're going to be looking at today, the, uh, the, the Bible, fellowship, Lord's Supper, and prayer. Uh, there is what I call the drains the tank approach and the fills the tank approach. Okay, there are approaches to these things that make me feel absolutely drained. That doing these four things becomes this unbelievable drudgery and I find myself thinking, do I really have to do this? I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Um, on the other hand, you've got the fills the tank approach. And there are times when these four things are the only thing I ever want to ever do for the rest of my life because they are so invigorating and they fill, they increase my spiritual energy to the point that it really does overflow and it moves me, right? And so we're going to talk, as we look at these things, we're going to talk about the drains the tank approach and the fills the tank approach, okay? So if you are feeling like, uh oh, here comes the weight of obligation, you know, hold on for a little bit. Hold on, let's get that together. And then the, the other thing I want to mention is as we look at these four things, we saw last week in verse 39 of Acts that the, the glorious news of Jesus, the transformation that was coming through Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, Peter said that the promise was for you and your children. Okay, and we want to talk. As we go through these four things, we'll take a little bit of time with each of these things to talk about how the fact that this is for you and your children maybe ought to influence the environment that your kids grow up in. Okay, so if you have kids in the house or if you have you know, children that are grown up, how you can continue to be a blessing to your children specifically. Okay, because one of the reasons why God includes the children of believers in his family is because they grow up in an environment that loves Jesus. They grow up loving Jesus. Okay, and so we're going to talk about the implications of that as we go through these four things. Okay, so first, the Bible. The Bible. This is the apostles' teaching. And if we take a step back and just look at verse 42, this is this group of 120 plus 3,000. And this is what characterized their common life. They were devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now this makes sense. Right, the, These apostles, or the, the people knew that the apostles were the ones that God had appointed to tell them about this amazing news of Jesus. Okay, Peter gets up and preaches. The other 11 are seen there also preaching and talking to the different people. And so people recognize that these were men that God called to proclaim the good news of Jesus and to talk about what it means. And so it would make sense that they would have set themselves to understand it, right? And so you could imagine them 
maybe together thinking, okay, I, I remember what he said about Jesus being crucified and raised from the dead, but um, what does that mean for me? And then someone else saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. Remember, remember they, they said that after he rose, he ascended into heaven and poured out the Spirit. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, now I remember that. But how does that, what does that mean? And then this other person, well, don't you remember what he said about the Spirit bringing heaven and now we have all these blessings? And then this person says, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, that makes sense. You know, and in order to try to understand the implications of what they had heard about Jesus, you know, how many times have you sat here and heard a sermon and walked out thinking, wow, that was really moving, and then you told somebody else, boy, it was really good this morning. And they said, oh, what did the guy preach about? And you say, well, I don't remember, right? I mean, that's happened to me. There are times where I walk out and someone says, how did it go? And I said, I think it went pretty good. And they said, what would you talk about? And I'm, well, and then it takes me a few minutes to go, or a few seconds to go back. And, well, it was my outline. And, you know, so, so don't feel bad if that happens. That's part of the dynamic. The whole point of preaching is to bring you into a direct encounter with God. And sometimes you're not going to remember all the details of that encounter. Okay? But preaching makes the word come alive in a way that affects you. And sometimes it affects your heart and you may not remember everything. And so these folks devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It wasn't enough just to hear them once. They devoted themselves to understand it to hear it again and again. They talked about it amongst themselves because for them, Jesus had changed everything and they needed to figure out what that meant. They needed to talk through what the implications were. Okay, and so it makes sense back then that they would have devoted themselves to the teaching of those who were appointed by God to preach about Jesus. Good news for us is that we still have the apostles' teaching, right? It's the scriptures. The apostles wrote down their teaching. We have the record of God's testimony through his appointed apostles that we can devote ourselves to. And so for us, as we look at the early church and what they did and how they ended up changing the world, for us, it starts with uh, devoting ourselves to the scriptures. Okay? Now, how do you do that? Well, there's lots of ways. Sometimes you read through the whole Bible. Sometimes you read one book of the Bible. Sometimes you read one book of the Bible over and over and over again, right? I've done all these sorts of things over the course of the 18 or so years I've been following Jesus. I had one period of my life where I'd try to read the same book of the Bible every day for 30 days, you know, and then the bigger books you break down into chunks and read the first eight chapters of John 30 days, you know, 30 times 30 days, and then the next eight, you know, you kind of do that. And so there's times where you want to go broad. There's times that you want to go deep, okay? There's times when it's, listening to other people it's talking about the bible there's lots of different ways that you can devote yourself to the scriptures as you do that though what are you looking for you know i mean what is the content of the bible let me give you three ways to think about what the message of the bible is as you read the bible what are you looking for well the first theme in terms of of organizing what the bible teaches the first theme would be that it's about the kingdom of god Okay? The Bible is about the kingdom of God. It's what God is doing to bring about the world that we all want. Okay? And so the, this storyline, this theme of the Bible is pretty simple. It's four words. It's creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. That's the Bible in four words. God makes all things good. We, human beings, we cut ourselves off from God and his goodness, and so we bring sin into the world, 
and it breaks things down. It causes death to enter and things fall apart. And then God brings his redemptive power. God moves not in creation, but in redemption to bring about healing and uh, and he puts the world back. He begins to put the world back to rights. And he begins that process in redemption. And then he consummates that process at the second coming of Jesus. Okay, so creation, fall, redemption, consummation. That is one theme that you will see in every book of the Bible. Second theme is that it's all about Jesus. From beginning to end, this book is about Jesus. We saw this last week. It's about his life, his death his resurrection, and his ascension, and what that means for us. The Old Testament points to Jesus. The Gospels manifest Jesus. The book of Acts talks about how they preached Jesus, and then the epistles talk about how they explained Jesus. Right? The whole Bible is about Jesus. And then the third theme really is, is, the, is, the, is the theme of salvation. And this is how we get involved. Okay, because creation, fall, redemption, consummation, Jesus, you know, those are things that are clearly related to us, but our experience of those things comes as we understand that the theme of the Bible is salvation. And under that theme, we have God, us, sin separates us from God, and then God sends Jesus to bridge the gap so that we can experience and become part of his family. So those are three things to look for as you devote yourself to the scripture and you'll find that more of the bible opens up if you understand those three things of kingdom of god jesus and salvation here's a quote from walter marshall who's written the most amazing book on how to grow in the christian life called the gospel mystery of sanctification and this is what he says he says to love the lord with our whole heart is to love his word and all his ways and like them as good We must delight to do the will of God. It must be sweeter to us than honey or the honeycomb. And this love, liking, delighting, sweet relishing, longing, and thirsting is something that God actually earns as we devote ourselves to his word. Our thirst for God, our love for him grows as our experience with God's word. Now, Think about a church that doesn't have this devotion, right? What do you do if this isn't characterized, if, this, if a church isn't characterized by a devotion to the apostles' teaching, to the scriptures? What happens then is that people quickly revert to the worldview of their day. There is no influence to help renew our minds. And so we end up falling in line with the mindset and the worldview of the culture And we get misshaped by whatever social pressures are most persuasive. In the words of Jesus, we end up losing our saltiness. Our light ends up being snuffed out. and We have nothing to offer. So, for us, one of the marks of the church, one of the things that we needed to devote ourselves to is God's word. And this trumps every this influences everything right everything else that we do is affected by the authority of jesus as reflected in his word now draining versus filling right i've been i've felt i've I've been made to feel incredibly guilty about my bible reading in my life and my lack of bible reading this has really helped me 
the drains the tank approach, the approach that makes me feel like I don't ever want to touch my Bible again, is usually when I ask myself the question, are you reading enough? Okay, if I ask myself, am I reading enough? That usually has a twinge of oughtness in it that makes me not want to read. Makes me feel guilty, and usually that guilt doesn't motivate further reading. So the drains the take approach on the word might be, again, this is for me, this might work for you. When you ask yourself, am I reading enough? Or am I reading consistently enough? Or how much should I be reading? Okay, so let me give you another question to ask yourself that might fill your tanks with the desire to read the word. Are you learning and applying the gospel? Are you learning and applying the gospel? When I ask myself the question that way, are you learning and applying the gospel? I'm thinking, well, I, I, you know, however I am doing, I want to keep doing it. I want to know the gospel better. I want to understand the good news better, more fully. I want to know its implications in my life. And so how do I do that? Oh, well, why don't I pick this up and read more of it? Does that make sense? You know, just the different ways you ask the, the question can either drain your tank or fill it up. And so just the question of, hey, how's it going? Are you learning more about the gospel? Are you learning more about what Jesus is doing in your life already? About how you're related to him, how you're in union with him? Those are things that help me and, and actually inspire me to want to read the word. And then uh, in terms of parents with kids, you know, if you want your kids to love the word, inspire, don't require. If you love the word, I mean really love it. If you love the word, your kids are going to grow up loving the word because you're going to be sharing with them the things that are happening as you read the word. Kids, I can't believe that in Job chapter 3, there is a Bible verse that Davy Jones quoted in Pirates of the Caribbean 2. I had no idea it was there, but as I was reading, I found it. Are you kidding? This is crazy. Look at this. I was wondering. It sounded a little bit interesting when he makes this, let no joyful noise be heard. Let no man look at the sky for hope. It's in Job 3. Like, how'd they do that? Where'd that come from? I mean, you know, so we had a, it was fun. But I mean, that's the kind of thing where as you have encounters with the word, that stuff will overflow in your life. Your kids will grow up thinking the Bible is the thing that gets my folks happy. You know, the Bible gives them hope and comfort and encouragement. As you share your experience of the Bible with them, you will inspire them to long for the Word. So that's the Scripture. Second, we have fellowship. Fellowship, verse 42. Again, this makes sense if you think about what it would have been like for them back then. Right? These people who were committed to Jesus, they found that they were encouraged to know they weren't alone. Right? They weren't the only ones to believe that God came in the flesh, that he suffered and then rose again. God was alive in their hearts. They were experiencing something new in terms of a relationship with God. But then when they got together, they learned that there was a whole new dimension where they felt support, they felt comfort, they felt encouragement. They felt that they learned from what other people were learning. That something happened when you got more than one Christian together. Something magical happened where one plus one equaled three. And one plus one plus one equaled seven. 
you know, there's this multiplying effect of God's spirit when his people come together. And that's what it means for us. It means spending time together. It's friendship, but it's more than that. Lots more than that. You know how when you're in a relationship with somebody, you're, you, you're a friend with somebody, or if you just get to know somebody, and you have an interaction where you feel like something just touched your heart. You know, maybe you feel like finally someone understands something that you're dealing with that nobody else has ever understood before. You know, or you feel like you heard someone and gave them some advice that seems to have made a huge difference in their life. You know, it's sort of what you get and what you give. But, I mean, that's, that's, that's what fellowship is aiming at. Okay, fellowship, the word fellowship just means commonality. It's rejoicing and celebrating what we have in common. You know, in a non-religious sense, the Super Bowl provides a great opportunity for people to fellowship about sports or commercials, you know. Um, that's what happens when you watch something like that by yourself. It's fun, but then something happens when there's, when there's a group together, right? And so for us, this is where we actually get the word communion. The Greek word is koinonia which is translated in other places, communion uh, in, in the scriptures. And so again, it's when we feel understood, supported, strengthened, encouraged. That's what fellowship is. And they devoted themselves to that. Okay, They devoted themselves to being together, to recognizing that, you know what, the thing that we have in common, if we have nothing else in common, the thing that we do have in common is Jesus. And that is the most important thing. The guy who is bringing healing and restoration to the world. The guy who can take a life and put it back together. Who can bring comfort and hope to someone. We have that in common. I mean, that's why it's great that there's such an incredible diversity here. That we can rejoice that what binds us together, what we have in common, is stronger than what separates us. Now, again, without this, if we don't cultivate this, we end up isolating ourselves, right? It's isolation. And it tends to end up, we, we tend to become self-centered. Um, this week, we, I tried to start a fire, <laughs> and it was a, it was a major challenge. It took me 30 minutes to get the fire started because I was trying to light wood that had been out in the rain. Not a good idea, especially, you know, three or four days after it rained. It took me literally 30 minutes to get this fire to actually right enough to tend it and sit there and, and, and continue to, to coax it into a fire. And it didn't actually catch until I got two pieces of wood close enough together where their mutual heat kept the fire going. I mean, and it was kind of ironic that by the time I got it going and you know, got to enjoy it, it was time for bed. So, so that was unfortunate but I also realized well heck I know how to tur- I know how to put this out so I took there were three pieces by that time I took the three pieces and put them on opposite ends of, you know opposite ends of the fireplace and in two minutes it was gone that's fellowship folks that's fellowship when the fire of the spirit is burning in our hearts if we're not with each other 
if we're not devoting ourselves to spending time in real friendship, in real relationship, and that can mean the good and the bad. If there isn't someone in your life that you're willing to let get into your kitchen and say, you know what, you need to grow here. You know what, this isn't right. You need, I mean, that's what real friendship is. Yeah, I heard somebody talking this week, actually, about how one of the causes of the astronomic divorce rate in our day-to-day, in our day-to-day, is the fact that we don't have good friendships. And people grow up now with so much available to them that you can cut off just about anybody in your life and still have other people to choose from. And so the way that we do life is that if things get difficult in a relationship, we just sort of ignore it and go on to something else. We can find people who will agree with us enough. And now with, you know, with the Internet, with communities online, we can create virtual community for ourselves, where we can pick and choose only the things that are easy for us. Does that make sense? And so we never, ever get face-to-face with conflict or problems. We never, ever have a relationship that we don't just walk away from when it gets tough. How do you think marriages are going to turn out if that's what we grow up with? And so I thought, boy, the church needs to be devoted to fellowship so that we can have healthy relationships, right? So we can have healthy marriages. Fighting is part of any good marriage, any good friendship, any good relationship. You're going to have conflict. If you haven't had conflict, you don't know each other well enough yet. So, and I think, too, that this notion of fellowship also trumps everything. All four of these things trump everything. These are things that if you take one out, the church stops being the church. The thing that, that, that makes fellowship affect everything in the, that the church does is that it, it drives home the point that we are a community. We are a community. Real church that changes the members so wonderfully that they can't help but serve each other and tell the world is a church that has deep abiding relationships that are transforming and so i know some of you you need to deepen some friendships some of you need to get some friends you know or treat the people that you have as friends and go a little bit deeper Okay, third. Wait, wait, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let me give you the drain versus fill technique there. Drains the tank approach is that if you heard just what I said and thought to yourself, if I don't spend time with people, God won't bless me. I mean, there might be truth in that, but that's probably not a way to think about that that's going to cause you to want to pursue it for the right reasons. Instead, how about this? Here's the fills the tank approach on fellowship. I need Jesus in others. And I need to bless others with the Jesus in me. I mean, to me, that preaches the gospel, right? Because that's saying that I need, to, I need these folks because Jesus can hug me through them. Jesus can understand me through them. Jesus can smile at me through them. And Jesus is doing something in my life that I need to share with others. When I think about it from that perspective, it makes me think, wow, yeah, there really is something I need to pursue here. And it makes me want to. 
So, all right, third. It says the breaking of bread. Uh, this is the Lord's Supper. Um, it was a little more general back then because for them the Lord's Supper was part of a larger meal that they had. But for us, this, uh, so for us, we celebrate this in terms of the Lord's Supper. Again, this makes sense back then because with this family, right, this new family that was being, that was being created, they wanted to have each other over. You know, they wanted to spend time with each other. They wanted to be together. And in a culture that was hospitable like theirs, they treated each other like family. Right? They treated each other like family. So they had each other in their homes. They shared meals together. We see in our verse that it's the breaking of bread. Okay, that, that, that word the means that this is a specific breaking of bread. It's not just general uh, having a meal together. This is the breaking of the bread. And that's how we know, and commentators pretty much agree, that this is referring to the Lord's Supper. And so for us, we participate in this when we partake of the Lord's Supper. You think about what is the Lord's Supper briefly. You know, God hasn't given us any pictures of Jesus, right? There's no drawing of him anywhere in Scripture. There's no physical, um, tangible image that God gives of who Jesus is. I mean, he uses metaphors quite a bit, uh, except for this, except for the Lord's Supper. God says, if you want a picture of Jesus, take bread and break it and distribute it. Take wine or the fruit of the vine, pour it out and drink it. Did I say drink the bread a minute ago? Eat it. I said eat it? Okay. Eat it, drink it. You know, this is the picture that God has given. It's broken food. That's who Jesus is. Broken food. He's broken for you. In his death, he was broken. His blood was poured out. And it's food. You don't just look at it, you actually consume it. You take it in. And so God is saying that Jesus died for you. And this is your nourishment. This will give you strength. This will give you power. This will give you joy and happiness. Jesus is broken food for us. In 1 Corinthians 10, verses 14 to 16, Paul says, We all know that in the Old Testament, when someone made a sacrifice on the altar in the temple, that they were one with the sacrifice. And Paul says, after that, don't you know that our participating in the body and the blood is a communion with the body and blood of Jesus. It's a fellowship with the body and blood of Jesus. And what God is communicating is that Jesus is broken for you and he blesses you. He fills you. Everything that he is, his life comes into use, you become like him, right? You are what you eat. We say that today. You are what you eat. If you feast on the body and blood of Christ, you become like him. And it's a tangible way for God to communicate the gospel to us. So some people have been asking, well, why don't we do it more often? You know, and that's kind of what happens. The more you understand the blessing that the Lord's Supper is, the more often you want to do it. And, uh, and we're thinking, actually, we're praying about that, thinking right now whether or not God would want us to do this every week. 
and uh, you know more to come on that. But uh, I've been thinking about that because I mean, why wouldn't you want to say not just that these blessings are true for anybody who believes, but guess what? These blessings are true for you. As real as that bread is, as real as that juice is, that's how real your assurance can be because you trust in Jesus that you have these blessings. That's exciting. And so for, again, this also is one of these things that trumps everything, right? It affects everything because what the Lord's Supper does, the reason it's one of the top four in this list is because it is a stark reminder. It is a, is a bedrock grounding in the reality that everything that we are as a church, everything that we are as individuals flows from our relationship to Christ. It begins with him, it continues with him, and it ends with him. And so uh, for parents, you want to make sure that you are preparing your kids to come to the Lord's table. Okay, so you want to help them understand the good news, the gospel. You want to teach them what it means to, to, to trust in Jesus. Teach them that they are fallen, right? That they have sin and that Jesus is the solution for sin. And because of his life and his death and his resurrection, God can forgive us. When your children are able to articulate that faith for themselves, then the way the process works is that you have, we have your kids and you meet with me or one of the elders and we'll just examine, we'll, we'll ask them what they believe about Jesus. We talk to them about what, they, what are they trusting in. Do they understand that they're a sinner? Do they understand that Jesus died for their sins and rose so they could be forgiven? Do they understand what the Lord's Supper is? You know, that, we, you know, that this, this bread is a picture of Jesus' body. The juice is a picture of his blood. It's broken because he died. It's poured out because he died. Right? And I've got this in a catechism form. We probably need to distribute it to the parents. It'd be good. Um, just to walk them through. Well, why do we drink it? Because we believe in him. What happens when we drink it? We become like him. You know, as your kids can articulate that, we interview them and make sure that they, they understand the faith and that they're professing a faith. And then we'd welcome them to come to the Lord's Supper. We'd welcome them to join us at the Lord's table to receive these blessings, this assurance. So, now with the Lord's Supper, we're talking about the drains the tank versus fills the tank approach. Sometimes there are people that look at the Lord's Supper and, and they say, well, have I done enough to be to be able to partake of this worthily, right? I've had experiences in my, in my past where I didn't come to the Lord's Supper because I wasn't good enough, because I was struggling with sin, and I thought I wasn't worthy. I wasn't worthy to come forward. It wasn't that I wasn't confessing my sin. I just didn't think I was good enough to come. And when we ask it that way, when we say, you know, have I done enough to partake worthily, that's going to drain us. Because faith is one of these things where when you look at your faith, sometimes it shrinks and shrivels. You know, faith is one of those things where when you look at the object, that's when it grows. Okay, and so the, the fills the tank approach of the Lord's Supper is that you come because without Jesus, you are unworthy. Okay, and so drains the tank is, am I worthy enough? Fills the tank is, is Jesus worthy enough? 
All right, last point, prayer. Prayer. And again, this would have made sense back then. They would devote themselves to prayer because these people had just been transformed by Jesus and this message that he was raised from the dead. And they were blown away by what God was doing in their lives. And they wanted to talk to him about it. Right? Not only did, and so they wanted to talk to him about it, and then they wanted to see other people experience this reality. And they knew there were things that only God can do that they couldn't do, and so they begged God to do what only he could do. That's what prayer is. Prayer is us in constant conversation with God. Right? It's, just, it's, it's a way that we... I mean, a couple ways to think about this is prayer is us being present with God. Okay, where we remind ourselves that we are in his presence. Okay? I don't know about you, but when I do that, things change. Right? When I invite, when I, when I remember that I am in the presence of a loving, holy, wonderfully gracious and powerful God, it doesn't matter where I am, I start thinking differently about my situation. But then prayer is also about God being with us. You know, prayer is us bringing God into the room with whatever we're dealing with. Right? So in one sense, prayer transports us into heaven with God. In another sense, prayer brings God out of heaven and brings him down to earth with us. You know, and so when I go up to heaven, I feel like I line up with who God is. When I bring God down through prayer, I feel like I'm asking God to do what only he can do. I think Facebook and Twitter, you know, these uh, social, some of these social networking sites are maybe descriptions of some of what's possible in terms of our relationship with God. You know, we all have this sense that we want to include the rest of our network in with us, no matter what we're doing. You know, so you put a status up on Facebook. Uh, you know, I just got out of the shower, I read, a couple weeks ago. Oh, thanks. All right. <laughs> okay. We want to include people in our lives, right? Twitter, right? No matter where you are. I actually thought about this when I was doing jury duty. I thought, wouldn't it be cool to uh, just be updating either Facebook or Twitter by just giving a blow-by-blow, blow, okay, sitting in the room, listening to the speech about what it means to be a juror. You know, then, ooh, got the call, going up, being examined. And then I found out that once you get in the courtroom, you're not allowed to actually say anything, and I was glad I didn't start. But we have this desire where we want to include our friends in our lives, right? We want people to know what we're doing. We want people to look on. We want to have this sense that other people care about what's going on in our lives and are interested. I mean, prayer can be that with us in the Lord. You know, prayer, we can invite God. I know it's not the same. I'm not trying to say it's the same. It's not the same. Um, but when we pray and bring God into more and more of our lives and bring us more and more into his presence, things happen. I mean, we have this sense of assurance. We have a stronger sense that he's with us. And when we don't do this, we forget that we are heaven and earth people. Okay, when we forget prayer, in a sense, we sort of cut ourselves off from our heavenly reality. And so prayer is a way for us to remember that God has called us to be, like Jesus, one of these bridges where heaven comes to earth. And prayer continues that for us. And so again, this does affect everything, right? Prayer is like the spiritual breathing that we do 
as individuals, but also as a church. In terms of uh, draining the tank, and this is one, this is one I struggle with a lot because on the drain to take approach, it's this, okay, I'm going to try to pray for X number of minutes every day. When I think about that, I get going and I, and I do it, you know, and, and it works for a while and then just sort of tapers off and, and it just, it sort of shrivels. Um, here's how I do the fills the tank approach. For me, prayer becomes more readily, you know, apparent in my life. I pray more when I have this thought. God, you're worthy. Line me up. Build your kingdom. You're worthy. Line me up. Build your kingdom. Those are thoughts that make me want to pray. Now, what happens if we do this? If we devote ourselves to these things, if these things characterize our life and we're excited about it, what are the results? Verse 43, Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. They were in awe because they could see that God was truly at work. God was doing something. Wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. Wonders and signs were how Peter characterized the life of Jesus, actually, in verse 22. So you see that the church ends up continuing the ministry of Jesus when it does these things. What was happening was that it was like God was putting his stamp of approval on the community. The wonders and signs showed that God was in approval. It was like God saying, yes, that's it. That's what I'm talking about. Like, that's the healed community. That's the family that I'm calling into existence. If you want to know what I'm doing in the world, it's I'm making people devote themselves to these things, right? This is the community that I'm trying to build. This is what I think is going to reverse the tide of brokenness in community. This is what's going to fix what's wrong in marriages. This is what's going to fix what's wrong in friendships. This is what's going to fix what's wrong in politics, this is what's going to fix what's wrong with your, with your coworkers, with your neighbors. This is how conflict gets dealt with. God is saying, look, it's this. It's this. It's these four things. When we do these things, God will be saying to us, yes, yes. And he will bless us with signs and wonders. He will bless us with things that are too wonderful to be explained outside of the fact that he's at work in our midst. Okay, and the signs and wonders often look like an inordinate number of people devoting their time and their energy and their effort to care for someone who can't get to church on his own. Okay? It looks like a huge number of people who show up every Sunday and set up and tear down. It's small groups of people in the church who are knowing each other so well that they're actually changing who they are. It's, it's people being freed from addiction because someone is willing to be called by them when the addiction temptation gets too strong, right? These are the signs and the wonders that God will work in our midst as we devote ourselves and be this healing community, this family of God. We will see love and care and concern. We'll know, and people around us will know that God is real and that God is working in our midst.
you know, I said before about the drains the tank, the fills the tank approach, and I think that's helpful, and you want to you want to think through that. One of the other ways to think about these four things, again, these things don't contradict faith. They don't put drudgery following after a life of faith in God. What these four things do, ultimately, is that they actually, these are the four main ways that God gives us Jesus. Okay? These are the four main ways God gives us Jesus. The Apostles' Doctrine is all about Jesus. Fellowship is about us being the family of Jesus to each other. Being his smile, his hug, his care, his concern. The Lord's Supper feeds us the blessings of Jesus, right? It's just us getting Jesus up close and personal, and then prayer connects us to Jesus. And that's what it is. So for God, from the beginning to the end, even when it comes to spiritual habits that ought to characterize us as a family, it starts and it ends with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for these two verses, for these four ways that your people were described. Lord, we want to be characterized as a family with these same things. We want, Lord, to devote ourselves to your word. We want to devote ourselves to each other. We want to devote ourselves to being in union with Jesus through the sacrament. And God, we want to devote ourselves to prayer, to be connected to you and have you continue to fill us and be with us. If you're here this morning and you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus, I would invite you based on all of the blessings, if you want to be part of this family, part of this community, where God will work wonders and signs in your life, all it takes, Peter told us last week, is just repent and believe. Just confess. Pray this with me. Lord, I'm sorry that I have lived too long apart from you. I've ignored you and that's sin and I confess it. Will you take your death and resurrection and apply it to me and grant me forgiveness and make me a part of this family here? Father, for the rest of us, would you help us? It's hard to do these things, Lord. It's messy. It takes our time. It's inconvenient. And yet, Lord, what else are we going to be about in this life? This is what we need in order to be everything else that we want to be anyways. Teach each and every individual here how we can grow in these four areas and fill our tanks with these things because we see how they give us more and more of Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.